Hello and welcome to the Giddy Carousel of Pop, the podcast that takes an old issue of the Swingerillion Pop Mag Smash Hits, usually from the 80s, although we may slide a year or two either side of that, and has a good nose through its pages with a guest. I'm Simon Galloway, and he's the fisher to my climbing, <laughs> rising to the occasion. It's Gavin Hogg. Oh, hello, Si. Thank you for that. Well, I feel like you're Postman Pat and I'm the black and white cat. You know, I'm trundling around in your your vehicle, but, you know, just chipping in now and again. But uh, the climbing, climbing Fisher one, that's that's very nice. That's a, the nicest intro yet. Um, before we set the carousel in motion, we've got a few thank yous. People have bought us coffees. Uh, so I will tell you a bit more about that in a moment. But a great big thank you to Colexco65, Rob Pryor, Ricardo Waterbarn, the mysteriously and enigmatically titled El Villano, and uh, last month's guest, Richard Drew. Thank you very much, you people. You're all lovely. You don't have to pay to be on the podcast, but it, it, it is a welcome <laughs> gesture. Yeah, just <laughs> grease the wheels a little bit, you know. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. And, uh, and if you want to support us, you too can do the same. It's very simple, and it can be just a one-off thing, or you can buy us as many coffees as you like. As often as you like, it's up to you. Just go to coffee.com, that's K-O-F-I.com slash pod, and chuck us a few quid to help keep the carousel spinning. Now... I think it's about time we welcomed our guest onto the carousel, but Gavin, who the juggins is it? Well, thank you for asking, Si. Today's guest is a journalist and broadcaster who worked on Much Miss Word magazine with previous guests on the carousel, Andrew Harrison and David Hetworth. Since then, she's written for a range of magazines and newspapers, including The Guardian and New Statesman. She was a judge on the Mercury Music Prize panel between 2007 and 2012. And if that wasn't enough, in 2017, her series about revisiting old homes called Doorstepping was broadcast on Radio 4. She's right here at the front of the queue. Actually, she's been queuing up for a little while now. Very excited, jumping up and down and eagerly clutching her ticket and her old issue of Smash Hits. She's giddy to be here. We're giddy to have her here. Why, it's Jude Rogers. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Jude. Do clamber onto a horse of your choice. What an introduction. Amazing. Yeah, um, I, I I was always a bit scared on carousels, so I might kind of go for one that looks quite sturdy. Um, I always thought I'd fall off. I was, you know, the kid at the fair that didn't want to go in the waltzes. I think I went in the waltzes once. But um, I'll hold on for dear life. Okay, well, we'll start gently. And, <laughs> you know, we'll see how you get on. I know you've just had a Jaffa cake as well, and we don't want yeah. any incidents with that either. There's so. a bit of it in my tea, actually. <laughs> oh, dear. Just a bit. Um, we'll have to fish that out. <laughs> Um, now, the carousel has spun us back to the smash hits of the 10th to the 23rd of August, 1988, which Jude has picked out for us to peruse with, I have to say, a rather giddy-looking Brother Beyond on the cover. And as ever, if you want to read along with us, you can do just that, thanks to Like Punk Never Happened and Smash It's Remembered. We'll put those links for the scans in the show notes for this episode, along with Spotify and YouTube playlists that include pretty much all the songs and artists featured in this issue of The Hits. And you'll also find these links on our website giddypoppod.home.blog and we'll post them on our twitter and facebook feeds as well just search for the giddy carousel of pop or at giddy pop pod thank you si so before we set the carousel a gently spinning we'll just set the scene um jude what were you up to in august 1988 take us back oh my goodness so i was 10 i wasn't quite 10 and a half you know half birthdays are very important when you're that age aren't they I was 10 years and four, three and a bit months, so 10 and a quarter, not 10, <laughs> 10 and a quarter. Um, I was on my summer holidays 
um, about to go into J4, top year of juniors, in Trechav Primary School in Lucha, Swansea, a big um, sprawling village, a bit like a suburb, but um, an old industrial village in Swansea. And yeah, I was getting into pop music. Um, it's funny, I've, I'm sure as lots of listeners to this podcast have been too, um, I've been watching the Top of the Pops reruns on BBC4 hmm. um, since they started nearly 10 years ago. That <laughs> 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 makes you feel extra old, doesn't it? The fact that the Top of the Pops reruns are nearly 10 have been going for nearly 10 years. But um, yeah, watching it, I realised that I must have started watching Top of the Pops about um, 1987 or so in fits and starts. Um, by 1988, I know every episode. Um, and at this point, I was buying magazines for my pocket money. I was buying Lookin. I was buying Jackie. I was buying um, probably still Bunty, to be honest. I, you know, I was in that kind of crossover age. But for some reason, I hadn't come across Smash Hits. And I picked this issue because the day I walked into Morgan's News Agency in Gorsinan, the exciting one street town next to my village and saw this issue. You know, um, when you sent this to me, Gavin, oh my goodness. You know, I've been saying for years, um, David Hepworth did a documentary some years ago about Smash Hits. And I said, I have to be on this because I have to talk about the 10th of August to the 23rd of August, 1988. <laughs> um, and Brother Beyond ha- have... Um, it's funny, I had thought they had skate, um, surfboards on the front, but it's. Um, I, I found out through Dave that it was it was some um, skateboards. Dave, as I've uh, put me right. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, it was just, I remember seeing it on the shelf and I remember I had 50p pocket money and I'm sure the 48p cover price at the time was not, you know, that was thought out. That was thought out for the kids who had 50p pocket money so they could get something, feel like they have 2p left for two penny sweets. Um, and I bought it and it felt, I knew it was a little bit old for me, um, possibly. Um, I don't know why, um, but it is interesting looking in the magazine, as we'll talk about, you know, a lot of the letters from kids are a little bit older. But as soon as I got it and took it home and opened it, it was like I'd found my gang. I'd found my world. I was, I was there. I was, you know, I was somewhere else. It was great. <laughs> what was it that tempted you to buy it? Do you remember? Um, I don't think it was Brother Beyond, funnily enough, because I was very much in the Bross camp at that point. <laughs> I was in the Bross camp and the Kylie camp. Um, you know, te- girls that are 10 are in this funny stage because, you know, you're not quite a teenager, obviously. Well, no, you're not a teenager. But, you know, you're starting to be a bit confused by pictures of Morton Harkett. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about this? Man with cheekbones that makes me want to put him on the wall. You know, I had started putting posters on my wall at that point. Um, I remember I had Michael J. Fox off um, Back to the Future. I had Morton Harkett. I did like a har. Um, so the issue after this, my second issue was Morton Harkett wearing an acid house smiley face T-shirt, which I put on Twitter, actually, uh, earlier on, much to the excitement of other women of my age. Um, <laughs> but um, I think it just looked fun. You know, there were these mm. four, you know, Brother Beyond were, well, they weren't a new band at the time, but they were they were a newly successful band at the time. And um, just, you know, the colours, you know, the bright reds and the oranges and the greens, you know, it's classic eight, late 80s design. The design is so important to smash it, I think. Um, I was talking to about this to a, a, one of your previous guests, the amazing Barry McElhenney, um, a couple of weeks ago, and... Um, 
talking about how influential um, Jackie Doyle's design was for it. I just wanted, and I want to hunt down Jackie Doyle because her, you know, her part in that whole mix is not talked about enough. You know, the way every page was packed, every corner was packed, every margin had a joke in it or an image in it or something funny in it. Um, and, you know, this cover is just really lively. Um, I think one thing I love most about the cover is um, the kind of comic strip um, speech bubble that comes out of Brother Beyond. And in quote marks, it's got, we won't believe we're pop stars until we're on the cover of Smash Hits. You know, even at 10, I must have spotted the humour <laughs> in that. And obviously, you know, it does have this kind of nice connection for kids who are becoming adolescents. Um, you know, this comic book world is very present in its pages. That's a nice little link across. But yeah, I just think it looked great. You know, they're all good. Yeah. You see all the teeth. They're all excited. It's great. <laughs> they are very excited, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, very and I think uh, I was looking at the top 40 listings for this period and the charts read like this cover of Smash It. Yeah. And it just shows you how on top of it they, they were at this point to you know be working in advance and sort of taking a little bit of a guess, a little bit of a punt on some things. But you look at that, that top 40 from this fortnight and then you look at the songs that are in there, the posters that are in there, and they are all absolutely reflected mm. in what's in the charts as well. So I think to be able to tie those things together so closely just shows you how just with it they were at this period. Yeah, and I think Barry said, didn't he, on one of your old podcasts that, you know, they followed the charts. And, you know, the fact that it's such an amazing mix of artists. Um, when I've been watching the Top of the Pops reruns recently, you know, we're up to 1990 now, late 1990, but um, you realise what an insane mix of stuff was in the top 40. Um you know, by this point, you've still got a lot of your classic teen pop stuff. You know, Climby Fisher, you know, with the both of you in it, obviously, are on the cover. Um, <laughs> Kylie, Kim Wilde, one of my longtime favourites. Um, but, you know, you've got Bomb the Bass and Voice of the Beehive. Um, the Funky Worm as well, obviously, uh, <laughs> who I'd forgotten about until reading this issue. But, um, you know, you've got a mix of stuff. And, uh, yeah, Misha Paris. You know, she doesn't really be on, belong in the same world as a Transvision Vamp, but um, <laughs> there they are together. And what about you, Si? What were you up to in August 88? Oh, let's see. I mean, as Jude was saying, it's important to mark kind of where you are in the calendar in terms of, of your birthday and stuff. So I was um, 14 years and 11 months <laughs> <laughs> when this issue of Smash Hits was current. Um, Six-week holidays, so it would have been spent hanging around at mates' houses, listening to records. Smash Hits wasn't necessarily uh, reflecting what I listened to at that time, but I was still getting it. Always on the lookout for little nuggets of, of information about Dame David Bowie. That's, you know... That, <laughs> But that was my main reason for, for buying any magazine at that time. So I was starting to like read things like Q, uh, get the occasional enemy melody maker sounds and things like that. So this was your Bowie period, was late 80s Bowie, which I feel, you know, I feel a bit sorry for you there. But, you know, well, I, I was into him because of Labyrinth, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, he's it, been an ever-present figure in, mm. in my life, David Bowie, and I think... Um, yeah, but, but at that time, you know, where else could you get your pop news from? You know, mm. um, back then you were just you know looking for any little nugget of information. You know, I remember finding out that he'd done um, a one-off concert that year for the ICA. I think it was at the uh, Dominion Theatre, and they'd showed that on telly, and uh, and it coincided with a family reunion weekend 
that uh, we always used to go to caravan down to Stratford, I think it was, um, every August bank holiday weekend. But Dave was going to be on the telly, so I decided to stay at home. I told mum and dad that I wasn't going to go with them. And that was the first time that I'd been in the house <gasps> on my own. Oh, nobody, wow. <laughs> nobody else there overnight. Um, I think I went and bought a special videotape to record it. I remember listening to um, the Smiths, The Queen is Dead, really loudly and flailing, <laughs> flailing around the house <laughs> to the title track. Amazing. <laughs> what about you, Gav? So August 88, continuing the how old was I theme, uh, I would have been uh, pretty much 18 and a half. I was about to go... Remember the old clearing houses, PCAS for uh, polytechnics? There was UCAS and PCAS. Oh, yeah. So through PCAS, I just found out that I was going to be off to Teesside Polytechnic in Middlesbrough for three years. Obviously, these were the days when, unless you'd been there, you, you didn't have any idea what it was like, apart from looking on a map to see physically, you know, where it was. <laughs> I'd, no, I'd not even been for an open day and I was going to live there. So <laughs> it was quite a tense time, really, that sort of mixture of... um wanting your independence and, and wanting to, uh, you know, live on your own and, and grow up, but also the fear that that, that instilled and, and just the, the step into the unknown, kind of stepping off the edge of a cliff, really. Um, Music-wise, I'd sort of outgrown Smash Hits by that point um, a few years before, and I'd moved on to Record Mirror, which was a nice kind of bridge between sort of the glossy pop world and then the, the kind of more serious, if you like, sort of um, weekly music papers. And... Um, I'd been at, obviously been at sixth form, so I just I just finished sixth form where I'd been for a couple of years, and that had expanded my musical horizons a bit. Really through compilation tapes, I had a really good friend in one of my classes called Roz, and at school I'd been the main sort of in, a, in our group of friends. I was the main person that really liked music, and I was you know kind of a bit of a music nerd. But then when you go to college and you mix with other people, suddenly you're not you're not the main music person now and other people know more about music than you. And, uh, but that was great because it, like I say, opened things up and I've still got some of the old tapes that she did for me with like, you know, stuff that I didn't know about, like, you know, C86 jingly jangly pop and stuff from the sixties, her and a boyfriend, she had a, um, a boyfriend from Manchester who taped bands like Yargo for me and a certain ratio and things like that, you know, and it was just, it was great. So that was kind of mainly where I was getting a lot of my music knowledge from really was was sort of through friends at college. It's funny. I didn't have many, you know, obviously I'm a, I was a little bit younger and um, I didn't really have tapes or anything at that point. I had, um, I remember my auntie and uncle bought me the Whitney Houston Whitney album on vinyl for Christmas 1987 completely randomly. <laughs> and I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. This is like those things my mum's got, you know, gathering dust in the corner and um yeah the music I had at home was you know my, my I came from a quite uh not traditional but kind of quite normal um South Welsh South Walian chapel going family we had my mum and dad we, my mum no actually at this point it's just my mum my mum was um a chapel organist we'd be practicing her hymns or I'd be practicing <laughs> her piano and she occasionally played she loved Ralph McTell as well I should say she'd play Ralph McTell a lot <laughs> but um my access to music was Top of the Pops and Bits of Looking, and Smash It was the thing for me that opened the world, my eyes to this world of pop music. So it's interesting. It was a slightly random thing. No, I had um, I did have the Bangles, Different Light on cassette as well, um, and a couple of other, couple of other cassettes. But um, I was still playing Party Party by Black Lace at this point. You know, I wasn't particularly sophisticated. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's interesting thinking back at that time. My 
my mum had a new boyfriend and um, uh, my mum and my stepdad got engaged later that year. And by the next year I had a baby brother and, um, you know, it was a kind of strange, slightly discombobulating time in some ways. But, you know, this magazine hmm. helped me through it. You know, it sounds really, that sounds a bit melodramatic, but, you know, I found this world of people and, you know, kids that were right in that were a bit like me and, you know, it was <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's that thing that you mentioned before about finding your gang and that's been a theme in quite a few of the previous podcasts with, with pop kids from the time of mm. suddenly finding this world that you want to be a part of and there's the humour and, and the, almost like the camaraderie of the magazine and the club kind of feel to it and it's a club you want to be a part of and, yeah. and a gang you want to be a part of. and Best magazines that. Yeah, well, a lot of people in lonely towns, you know, lonely people in lonely towns finding <laughs> finding their tribe, really, you know. Definitely. That's why it was so lovely so many years later to be part of Word magazine and think, this must be what it was like to be part of Smash Hits because it felt like a, a daft family, <laughs> you know, admittedly populated <laughs> by some of the same people who had been in Smash Hits, you know. Yeah. Dave was wandering around. Um, I loved hearing Barry's story about um, getting interviewed by um, David Hepworth in his house and getting his job. Um, I'll mention Barry again later, I'm sure, because um, Barry edited this issue. And when I was at Word, I'll tell you now, I'll tell you now, I was, um, I joined Word magazine in 2003, quite run, no, not randomly. I'd basically made a fanzine about London called Smoke with my friend Matt Haynes, who uh, was a co-founder of Sarah Records, um, became part of Word, became, I was reviews assistant, mainly opening post, helping out Paul Denoyer doing this kind of stuff. But after a while, I helped commission reviews and I eventually became reviews editor. And then I was commissioning reviews by this guy called Barney Tabasco, which was a pseudonym. And I don't know who didn't know who was a pseudonym for. I then found out later it was Barry McElhenney. And I said, I'm sure I remember that name, you know, because I didn't really look at the masthead too much when I was a kid. You know, I knew Sylvia Patterson and Miranda Sawyer, people like that who I'd continued reading. But then I found out that Barry had edited Smash Hits and I called him to commission him for a review one day and I found out he had edited this issue of Smash Hits <laughs> and I just, my whole world kind of imploded. I could not believe it. And every time I talked to him, I'm like, Barry, Barry, you changed my life. <laughs> he's probably bored of it now. But um, but yeah, I, th- you know, I think actually I think he's quite moved when he hears people talking about it because, you know, I was the kid he was trying to make feel involved in this world. And... You know, they were a bunch of people who loved this world and created this world, but they weren't the kids who loved the music. And um, yeah, I think he—I think he quite likes me telling him. Actually, I hope he does anyway. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Well, shall we get stuck into the mag then? Yeah. Um, so we've pretty much done the front cover, haven't we? Um, a very toothy brother beyond, uh, smiling out as joyously from the uh, the front cover. Is, are there Keith Haring designs that they're wearing? Uh, it, it looks like that kind of stuff, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I hadn't thought that. That kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, certainly influenced by that. Yeah. Yeah. Like CNA version of uh, Keith Haring, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Pop house. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then just looking at the contents page, um, let's, let's quickly run through the song lyrics that are in there because, let's face it, that's mainly what you're buying it for, the song lyrics and the posters. Um, so you've got Steve Walsh, Ain't No Stopping Us Now, Fairground Attraction, Find My Love, 
BVSMP, I need you. Yaz and the plastic population, the only way is up. Brother Beyond, the harder I try. Shaking Stevens, feel the need in me. There's a cover that we all forgot about. Uh, <laughs> Julia Fordham, happy ever after. Bit of a weird one for Smash It's The Funky Worm, hustle to the music. Alexander O'Neill, what can I say to make you love me? Kylie Minogue, the locomotion, voice of the beehive. I say nothing. The four tops, reach out, I'll be there. Misha Paris, like dreamers do. Uh, Tanita Tickerham, good tradition, all about Eve, Martha's Harbour. And breathe, hand to heaven. I feel, I feel like I'm Bruno Brooks doing the, uh, the top 40 run <laughs> down. <laughs> and we've got a new entry at number 11. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the, the first poster of the issue um, Simon Climey. Gazing longingly into the camera. Look at those soft eyes. Dreamy. Beautifully teased hair. <laughs> he's dyed his hair as well. He's got, I think he's got a bit of henna in there, hasn't he? Mm. Yeah. He's dyed the bath red. He definitely has. Yeah, definitely. And you can see uh, the studio lights are kind of highlighting that a little bit. There's <laughs> that strange kind of translucent glow. <laughs> he's got a hoodie and a leather jacket. That's a strange look, isn't I know. it? It's going to be hot. You can't have that in August, can you? Yeah, it's going to be boiling in that. <laughs> And then we get to uh, bits straight away. The uh, well, the, the, the beating heart, the the fulcrum upon which the whole giddy carousel turns, <laughs> and uh, and I think it's bits uh, probably it's most psychedelic and surreal <laughs> reading through this, and uh, so some of the uh, words and phrases that we uh, that we remember smash its for like plank spanking, fright wig, uh, and calling the reader viewers or <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um- when I was at Word years later, Mark Ellen would always refer to the viewers, not the readers. And um, I loved that. I loved we still spoke in Smash It's language. Well, it was Tom Hibbert's language, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely mad, isn't it? Talking of mad language, let's uh, let's dig into one of the features. Um, you were mentioning Coily before, Kylie Minogue, Jude. <laughs> and we've got a very surreal and strange um, kind of photo montage with a an odd story that's been kind of assembled around. It's called Kylie Minogue's Adventures in the Land of Oz. And, yeah, there's kind of a, a set of random pictures, which I think have all been taken on the same day, although I know Jude's done a bit of detective work around this, so she'll be able to out. tell us a bit. Mm. And it's, it's, they've basically made a feature out of just a few photos and just spliced it together with um, kind of odd commentaries on, on what they think is going on. So, Jude, do you want to kind of tell us what you found <laughs> out? And- I will do. I have to say, when I turned the page to this spread, I remember this so well. I was like, it's the Kylie as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, you know, um, <laughs> Which is weird, given this was my first issue. Um, so basically, yeah, you've got 10 pictures, Kylie drinking a cup of tea, Kylie with a wild cat, Kylie in some sort of it's a knockout sort of affair with loads of kids in fancy dress, Kylie on a skateboard with three blokes that they say are the Tin Man Scarecrow and Friendly Line, Kylie with a horse, <laughs> Kylie with a clown on stilts, who they say is the wizard. Um, basically, there was... You know, what was in the tea on this day in Smash Hits? So, um, yeah, um, what this is, so I thought, right, where were these photos taken? Yeah, she's in the same clothes. It's some event. Um, looking at the photos, I, with my eagle eyes, I spotted um, in picture six a Grampian television trailer in the back of the shot of Kylie and this guy on stilts. Uh, yeah. um, and so I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be some kids' TV programme maybe. So, you know. This is not high-level research skills, to be honest, but I just Googled <laughs> Kylie Minogue, Grampian Television, 1988. Better than we did. God bless Google. <laughs> and I found out it was a recording of Get Fresh uh, for ITV. I don't know if you remember Get Fresh with Gaz Top. Yes, I do. And I do. Gilbert the Alien. Yes. Um, but it used to travel around the country, this show, and for this particular 
episode. They were in Inverness. This is the 9th of July, 1988. So obviously these pictures were in the ether and this is, you know, 10th of August issue. So, you know, they probably got hold of these a couple of weeks previously and thought, what the hell's going on with this? Let's have a bit of fun, <laughs> essentially. So um, there's a, I, I found um, a video online. <laughs> this pop game, it's, you know, it's like being down the pit. It's really hard work. And um, basically found, um, yeah, Kylie, um, she's there watching this competition where all these kids are in crazy fancy dress, which is um, picture three. So, yeah, if you Google Kylie Get Fresh 1988, you will see um, some really badly vi- videoed footage of this, you know, with proper uh, tracking marks on the screen. <laughs> but, you know, somebody loved Kylie so much they had to get this up. Um, but, yeah, she's wearing the same outfit and the black leather jacket that pops up. In picture six, so I was delighted to make that connection. So there we go. Good work. Well done. But yeah, I just love the idea that um, they'd obviously got these pictures. You know, um, in how many years later was it? Six years later, five years later, actually, I got my first job as a journalist. You know, I, at 15, I'm working on Saturday mornings at the local newspaper in Llanelli, near me, the, the, the hot metropolis five miles to the west of where I lived. And, you know, I, I know at that point, even five years later, you know, you, you've got all the pictures and you have to file them and you have, you know, there's just boxes and boxes of photos from photographers everywhere. And I just imagine Barry and Sylvia Pass and, and Tom Doyle and all these people just going, what the hell are we going to do with these? And somebody just going, I know, let's make a mad story about it. And probably Sylvia, because it's, it's very Sylvia. Um, I don't know, but it's mad. You know, the line in this Yellow Brick Road picture is just saying... There's a quote mark and eight question marks because he doesn't know what yeah. she's on about and, <laughs> and stuff like that. But, you know, well, the thing that it reminds you of is Kylie was up for all this stuff. Kylie would have loved this probably. You know, she was always up for doing kids TV programs, random things, you know, proper entertainer, having a laugh. She would have laughed at this, I think. She's a good egg, is Kylie. Kylie. Yeah. <laughs> They're calling the wizard a vile despot. <laughs> <laughs> It's so random. And uh, all alone in the evil land of Oz, little Dorothy reflects on her misfortunes, blub. And it's just, you know, Kylie standing by a river with a hat on. <laughs> and there's a policeman, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mister Rosa. Mr. Rosa, you're nicked, my son, he says to Kylie. It's so completely... The cat that's running away from her saying, you're a lunatic, Coilie, I'm off. <laughs> it's just full of great stuff, isn't it? Yeah, not the same Toto as the Toto in picture two, I noticed. That, yeah, there's a cat and a wild cat. Anyway, who cares? <laughs> it's great. You know, the fact that you've got this on the same spread as, you know, literally the first bit of bits is a sandcastle bucket and spade and a little poem. If you get hold of a bucket and spade, there's bundles of fun to be had. You can build a sandcastle if you're a weed, and if not, you could bury your dad. <laughs> and it's got the name of this poem as... What to do on your vacation, viewers? Cliff Mitchell Moore, which obviously <laughs> I wouldn't have understood anything about that at ten, but I would have found it surreal and funny. It's the, it's the surrealism. It's implanting surrealism in ten-year-old kids. I think that's good. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, what we were saying about you know finding your your gang and and things like that, and I know that this kind of language and this kind of writing hugely influenced me and my friends who are into smash hits, 
And I remember as, you know, some of that filtering through to some of the creative writing that we'd have to do for <laughs> for, for, for English, you know. And I'm, I remember writing a, a story for my GCSEs uh, in, in English creative writing. I think it was called something like Sid Cosmic Ray and the Glitter Belt. And it was like a, you know, it's like a faded glam rock star. Obviously, I'm a David Bowie fan. So it's like a faded glam rock star. But then it, it was all like basically just loads of smash it isms throughout. And I, I dread to think how many teachers were, were bombarded with essays like that, particularly in English creative writing. <laughs> I feel sorry for them there. Well, if we're talking about the, the language of smash hits, we should probably uh, look at the intro to the Pat Benatar article, which is like across <laughs> on the next column, which is great. So there's a little, basically a little kind of fact file about Pat Benatar, who's not had a hit for a few years now, but she's back, back, back. And it says, Pat Benatar, oh yes, such is the stuff of which rock legends are made. She's a foxtress, a rockstress, a sockstress, i.e. she has very nice foot garments, and a lockstress, i.e. she has very, inverted commas, nice hair, all rolled into one. The woman can do no wrong. (laughs) That tells you all you need to know about Pat Benatar. I also like, a bit further down, it says that um, she first appeared in the hallowed pages of Bits three and a half years ago, and Bits called her a colossus in spandex. Apparently, she didn't find this entirely amusing. (laughs) So she's not got the same sense of fun as Kylie, I guess. Colossus in spandex. No, at the end of that first paragraph as well. Here, listeners, is the unexpurgated, in quote marks, Pat Benatar story. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I, I, I don't think you've had Sylvia on this podcast yet, and you really should, but Sylvia talks sometimes in quote marks. She stresses things like that. And um, um, I just have this fascination with, you know, Sylvia and Tom both st- started off working for DC comics in Dundee and they and I remember they've said um you know I can't remember where that we've talked about this probably in a pub you know in the old times when we used to be able to go to pubs um about how a lot of that humor comes from a certain daft Scottishness from them from the two of them that kind of like you know obviously you've got Tom Hibbert but then you've got Sylvan Tom kind of with their own language and you know that's what perv breeks breeks is scottish you know <laughs> so um yeah there's a phd in this somewhere isn't it the language of smashes it's probably been written but um if not if anybody has the funding for it for three years i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> that's what i should be doing at the age of 42 when phds about smashes we've also got some uh features on Susie, uh the blow monkeys the Funky Worm. Who the Juggins are the Funky Worm is the headline, <laughs> which is a great smashes headline. But um, there's also a little sort of introductory piece on uh, Tanita Tickerum. She gets a column towards the end of bits. And uh, it introduces her by saying, Tanita Tickerum, listeners, is the folkstress currently gracing the airwaves with a queer old ditty called Good Tradition, which makes a sound like some deranged old crone burbling away in a folk-loving Cacaldi or somewhere. But this swirlesque acoustic outing masks the fact that she's a mere stripling of 18 who is part Indian, part Fijian, part British and part whatever you call people who come from Borneo. And then we get a, a short interview with her. where She, she comes across as quite a serious um, young person, really. She grew up uh, on an army camp in Germany and talks about the rations that she had to eat and... And then also talks about um, drama school. Um, that's a really good bit where she says she did a drama course at college, which she got very bored with. They were really into improvisation classes. I used to get really embarrassed. What happens is you get two people to stand there and one of them just makes up a scenario and the other person reacts to it. It's supposed to make you a better actor, but they make you be a packet of crisps and things. I mean, how do you become a packet of crisps? 
which is a great question for our times. I really want to know the circumstances of this interview. You know, was it a 20 minute phoner and how on earth did that it come around to that or whatever? The best bit is the bit about um, Sherbet being part of the rations in Borneo is quite funny. Um, but yeah, at the end kind of, you know, there's a sense, you know, Tanita Tikram sort of isn't classic smash hits fodder, obviously, is she? You know, even the good tradition. I love that song at 10. You know, it's a big hit. It's, a, it's still mm. a great song, you know, very catchy. But yeah, you had this young woman with this very strange, very low voice. Um, so at the end, you know, obviously it's an attempt to bring her into the current trends, but in a, in the way the Smash It does, you know, in a gentle way. They're not, you know, saying that Tanisha Tickram can't be part of Smash It. Of course she can, because she's in the charts, as you were saying earlier. But um, it goes, but will she make a proper, quote marks, hit sensation? Does she know, for instance, what so-called house, in quote marks as well, music is? Yeah, it's music they play in a house, isn't it? No? Oh, well, I never listen to chart music these days anyway. I'm a bit of a floater, really, dot, dot, dot. And the last line is, <laughs> oh, dear, with the dear in italics. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Poor old Tanita's too busy listening to a Leonard Cohen records in a garret. <laughs> On the way to the RSVP page, we do have the song words to one of the greatest pop singles of all time, um, The Only Way Is Up. I interviewed Colcutt about this single recently and how it came to be. And um, it's a very minor Northern Soul hit that they um, made amazing. And uh, yeah, Yaz, what a great pop star Yaz was. She was, wasn't she? Fantastic. Looked amazing, sang brilliantly. It was a good time for um, women in pop, in quote marks, you know, not that I endorse, you know, magazines that have issues called women in pop, women in rock, because obviously I don't. Um <laughs> You know, being 10 and getting exposed to, you know, Kylie was a great pop star. Yaz was a great pop star. You know, a couple of months later, you get Nena Cherry, who completely blew my mind. And, you know, I, she's still one of my favourites. But um, lovely Yaz, bravo misses, as it says at the end of the little black box next to the um, song words. Um, so let's uh, have a look at RSVP, shall we? Want someone to write to? Send a postcard with your name and address in block capitals, plus a few words about yourself. So is there anybody there that you would have uh, written to? Jude, anybody there who, who you think, well, yes, I'll, I'll write a letter to you? I couldn't believe it seeing these. You know, people's names are full of dresses. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't quite countenance it. You know, I, I do remember looking at these and always wanting to write, but I never did. I was too nervous. But I think I probably would have wanted to write to Roddy. I'll read his. Hi, my name is Roddy. I like bros. Obviously, massive tick for me. Kylie Minogue, back to tick. In excess. Now, there was a band that made me feel slightly confused when I saw pictures of Michael Hutchins. I was confused by his <laughs> lustrous locks. Um, and I'm mad on Neighbours, which I was too. Um, I'm 40. No, I, I see, I, I'm too young for Smash with this bit. I'm 14, so I'd like anyone between 13 and 15 to write to me. I'll answer all letters. Write to Roddy, oh. 97 Magdalen Gardens um, or Magdalen Gardens. Edinburgh, Scotland, EH15, 3DS. Um, I might just write to him now, see if he replies. Yeah, I bet he's still yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> write to a 14-year-old boy. How old would he be now? He would be, oh, goodness, 33. Oh, yeah, he'd, he'd be, be in his late 40s, Late 40s, he? yeah. Yeah. Are oh, you still into Neighbours, Roddy? <laughs> yeah. You'd be worried if he was, I think, wouldn't you? <laughs> Is your favourite Helen Daniels or Bouncer? Yeah, exactly. Or Mrs Mangle. <laughs> no, I'd like to write to Roddy, but um, I, look, now I quite like the sound of Helen, who was a 15-year-old punk, into the Primitives, Susie and the Banshees, and the Mission from uh, Chester. 
Sheila sounds pretty cool. Yeah, she's the one I would have written to. Well, not at this time because I was 18 and she was 15, so that wouldn't have been right, but she's the one I would have chosen a few years earlier. I like, um, this one made me laugh. I think Gary is very, the first letter is from a guy called Gary from Cambridgeshire, <laughs> and I think he's very, very optimistic. He says, hello, my name's Gary, and I'd like pen pals from anywhere of any age. I'm 17, and I'm into Marillion. I mean, right, right straight away there, you're probably excluding a large percentage of the readership. <laughs> Suzanne Vega and the Beach Boys. He's not really kind of in the right zeitgeist there, is he, Gary? Um, <laughs> I'll try to reply to all the letters I get. Gary, I think you'd be able to reply to any letters you get, mate. <laughs> I, th- I think you're having a very small post bag, I'm afraid. But, uh, yeah, I like I like his optimism. <laughs> oh, the optimism of all of it is just lovely, isn't it? You know, obviously there are child protection concerns you worry about with these pages. Mm. But <laughs> it, was a di- <laughs> it was a different time. No, it, um, I, I would have... Love to have written one of these letters in. Um, I actually have two friends who became best friends meeting off teletext pen pals who are still best friends. Um, and I, the romance of uh, the idea of making a best friend of, out of, you know, teletext or smash hit is still something that <laughs> is very appealing. Feels like it's from another age, doesn't it? Oh, well? yeah. You know, just, you know, I made friends through Twitter, you know, but it's not as, not as fun, is it? No offence to the friends I've made off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going through this issue with, with my daughter, who's um, 15, oh, and she wow. found this hilarious. <laughs> and she, she was reading it, and then she, she got to the, um, the fourth one down. Hi, my name is Michael. I'm 15, and I'd like to write to males and females of about the same age. And, she, and so that just cracked up. She said, males and females? Males. Doesn't it just mean anyone or anybody or everyone? <laughs> Why does he have to say males and females? So she was rolling around laughing uh, at that one. Um, but yeah, when you mentioned child protection issues there, Jude, um, th- there are two letters specifically that caught my attention. Mm. Uh, when I thought, aye, aye, there's, there's, something, there's something not quite right about these two here. And it's David, who's 16 years old. And I'd like to hear from anybody aged 14 to 18. My favourite groups are Bross, the Pet Shop Boys, and I also like many more. And the uh, the one below, hello, my name is Clive. I'm into Madonna, Five Star and Whitney Houston. And I love watching Neighbours too. Um, and he wants anybody aged 15 to 17 to write to him. Ah, t- don't know, there's just something about them too. What do you think they're a bit too old for Smash It? Yeah, I, I didn't believe them. It's not, <laughs> it's not just their age. I think Clive definitely is lying about the things that he likes just just to reel in mm. some, uh, some some girls there. He's, he's, he's fishing a little bit. We have to say at the top of it, it says, please enclose a phone number where we can contact you. So I think that's the level of responsibility, isn't it? Yeah. That's them calling up, checking it's who they are, speaking to their mum. <laughs> yeah. I bet that's what they did, actually. You'd hope so. <laughs> They're just like <laughs> just the idea of putting your address. But you know, these are the days when independent record labels just had their addresses on the back of a single, aren't they? So you mm. know, you just turn up a postcard records or Sarah records or whatever and try and meet the people who are putting these things out. You know, it's such a naivety to it, which um is quite sweet really, isn't it? A different time. Different time indeed. And I think the yeah, I, I would have written to Helen as well, because I was definitely Ooh. definitely into the mission. I'm gonna fight you too. <laughs> And uh, and I, I was definitely Susie and the Banshees curious. So <laughs> Helen would have been there, but also Ron, who's a thirteen-year-old girl 
in um, in Ilford in Essex, and uh, not so much the music that she's into, other than the Pet Shop Boys. Um, she likes Madonna, Five Star, Michael Jackson, Rick Astley, and the Pet Shop Boys. So the, the Pet Shop Boys get a tick for me. Um, but she also likes watching Bread, <laughs> Neighbours, and Girls on Top. So she's the only one that mentions comedy there. And I was well into my comedy programs then, so oh. I, I, yeah, I might have dropped a little line to uh, to Ron back then. I love that. I also like watching Bread. Gosh, my grandma used to look like Nellie Boswell. That takes me back. She really. <laughs> oh, I've not thought about bread in decades. That's really gotta funny. give up. No, gotta yeah. get out. Yeah, it's a tune, isn't it? Oh, so watch that religiously. Yeah. Banger, banging Banger. tune. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love Coldcat to uh, remix that. That'd be good. Oh, I love this. This is classic. This is Sylvia Patterson. Her name's on the top. It's classic. <laughs> so this is kind of, by this point, you know, Tim Simonon is big. You know, Beat Disc came out earlier in 1988. He looks about 12 in the pictures, isn't he? He looks so little. He looks so young. I love the, um, there's a little panel um, on the side of the main picture, which says, how to be a bomb the bass style wizard, wizard in quote marks, obviously, known ho ho. Um, number one, wear, wear a yellow smiley man badge with tomato sauce on it. Number two, wear something on your hip that bleeps all the time, two exclamation marks. He's got a pager in his pocket. <laughs> number three, forget to take the label off your V expensive, quote marks, trainers, two exclamation marks. There's a Nike Air pair of trainers with a label still on. Four, wear a monumentally expensive ring and watch. Five, walk backwards for the rest of your life. Uh, uh, and then basically it's... um. <laughs> It's got a baseball cap on backwards. I feel a baseball cap on backwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was very lucky to be getting into pop music in this particular year. And I loved so much house music. I loved acid house music. And I was I was talking to this with my, you know, good friends, Colcut the other week. Um, so much early house music samples kids' records or old films. And there's a there's sort of this childhood language about it, this kind of playfulness about it you know what thunderbirds and you know there's so many of these samples were used early on you know um oh um sparky's magic piano you know lots of these little samples mm, rhubarb and custard exactly exactly um and earlier in the year now 11 had come out which i actually i had now 11 for my 10th birthday and there was a house music side to it there's another great podcast i don't know if i should mention other podcasts on your podcast it feels a bit mean but um pop rambler there's a great now, that's why I call music podcast, um, about now 11 with my lovely friend, Mark Wood, who's one of the DJs at the Ducky nightclub in London. Um, and yeah, and that'd been my introduction to house. And I was learning about, this is the summer of, second summer of love that this issue came out in. And here you have the prince of the second summer of love, Tim Simonon. And yeah, I, it was interesting reading this all these years on because, you know, here we got a boy who'd, you know, he went to a boarding school in London. He... Used to work in a Japanese restaurant, to which Sylvia says, Bully, obviously. Yeah. Um, he's releasing a new single on the eighth day of the eighth month in 1988 because it's, because it's supposed to be the luckiest day in the Chinese calendar. And she's, Sylvia seems to be obsessed in this issue of saying people are being spooks. Yeah. Um, it feels like she's gone in with a real agenda, doesn't it, at the top? To, <laughs> yes. I don't know if he was a bit... Not very interesting, but like she's she's very much trying to go for a theme of the interview of him being a spook person, as she calls it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and she says in the introduction about he's rumoured to have a magic carpet, and I just think she's made that rumour up. I don't think there's of any... Of course she has, yes. <laughs> there's any fact to that at all. And what I like about it is that he seems to go along with it for a little bit, uh, and he's talking about lucky charms and edible spells and so on. But as she gets more and more fixated on it, you can see him almost backing away from the concept as the interview goes on. Yeah. Until you get a great bit towards the end where there's a fantastic quote where he says, you're making me sound like a wizard. I'm not a wizard. (laughs) I'm terribly sorry about this, but I don't put spells on my records. And then he also says a bit later on, I don't live in a wizard den or anything. And I think he, like I say, he, he must kind of, Halfway through the interview, just start thinking, how's this going to come across in print? Am I going to look mad? And he's just trying to backpedal furiously, I think. And the headline is, I'm not a wizard as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The last question is her kind of asking, how does he think he's going to die? You know, obviously in Smash's language. And how, pray, do you think you will, quote marks, cop it? Oh, dear. That's not a thought that creeps up on me very often, actually. Oh, God. You haven't got any more spooky questions, have you? Uh, no, dot, dot, dot. And that's the end of the interview. <laughs> oh, it's classic though, isn't it? It's so funny. Um, you know, I guess, you know, interviewing somebody who's a producer, um, an electronic producer um, for a pop magazine, you know, she could ask him about the samples and all that kind of stuff, but it's not really what happens, is it, in a in a pop magazine? Um, she's trying to get across his personality and how daft he is or whatever. Um, it's funny, I, um, Tim Simonon and... Um, up until about two years ago, was uh, running a restaurant in Prague, a um, oh. a kind of meatball restaurant in Prague. Um, and I know this because um, one of the, well, she was in Bomb the Bass, sort of, um, and ran well, one, of the co- one of the co-founders of Rhythm King Records, Adele Nozadar, I, is somebody I know, lives near me here in Wales. <laughs> she's uh, written loads of books about foraging and she's she's great. She just left the, she did she work for Rhythm King Records, you know, put out... The Beatmasters rocked a house, you know, kind of, you know, obviously Tim Simon and then did the remix of um, Buffalo Stance, Banana Cherry, which was huge, you know, um, and um, she's, um, Adele's one of these people who was in the middle of all that. Yeah, she she's a forager in mid-Wales now. How things change. And Tim Simonon's experience in the uh, the sushi restaurants paid off. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I think yeah, seeing Sylvia's name there always gladdens the heart when oh, we see Sylvia's she is name. She's so massively underrated, Sylvia. Um, you know, she. But people like us, we know who she is. But when people mention great interviews, our times quite often she's not mentioned and it really gets my back up because you know she's written for all the women's mags, she's written for all the music mags. Her interviews are Q. You know absolutely fantastic and her memoir which came out a couple of years mm. ago is fantastic and anyone listening to this podcast get that because you get the, the early days of smash hits her career you know she's interviewed everybody as well and you know in her hands you know the most boring person she'll make interesting and she's so funny you know it's very, yeah. i find it very hard to be funny in print um <laughs> And get most of my terrible jokes cut out, but you know Sylvia's just brilliant at it. <laughs> yeah, we've recommend we've recommended that book a few times before, haven't we? Yes, amazing. But we can't recommend it enough. Yeah, no, we can't. It's fantastic. Every every, every pop kid's home should have one. <laughs> 
We turn the page and uh, we get to uh, get smart. Um, pop puzzles can be a problem and a half, can't they, listeners? There you toss and turn at night, not knowing if Simon Climb's suntan is real or out of a bottle, or indeed if Marty Pello's hairdo is an honest phenomenon or a hedgehog. <laughs> get, get, get smart, however, can make those restless nights a thing of the past as everything ever invented about pop is stored in its vast memory bank. So there's there's a few interesting questions oh, here. Um, yeah. There's a little Bross thing. Has Luke from Bross plighted his troth? I would have been very interested in that. <laughs> Luke was my favourite. Yeah, um, it was Luke. Um, briefly, it was Craig, but mainly it was Luke. Um, and Luke was married. Well, did get married? I think around this time. I should have should have looked this up. He was married to Shirley for many years. Yeah, and only got divorced a couple of years ago. So had been mar- had been mar- married. Th- 30 years or something to the same woman. Do you know what? I have to look that up later. I'd forgotten to look that up. Call yourself a brosette. He he probably was actually married. You know, Kylie and Jason were definitely together at this point as well, but they weren't officially. So it's all subterfuge, isn't it? I love the what's all this Balearic beat nonsense about A. What an amazing headline. (laughs) Um, Somebody's asking what Nick Kershaw is up to. Where the ruddy heck has Nick Kershaw got to then? Um, Amazing, really, that somebody's writing and asking about Nick Kershaw. It's um, almost three years since he had a hit of any note. Um, And he says, Nick hasn't exactly gone down the dumper. A few years ago, i.e. in the days when Nick was having numerous hits all over the shop, he decided that he needed a rest and wanted to spend nine months writing some new tunes. Trouble is, he got a bit carried away and ended up spooking off for several years. (laughs) There we go. Spooking off again. Now he's decided to make a comeback and record an LP full of jolly pop tunes earlier this year in America, but decided they were all crap. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to say crap. Crap was considered, yeah, that was considered a rather strong word in the Galloway household and is now writing some even better ones uh, so I looked into this it said that the LP would be out in October it, it, it wasn't didn't come out until um, the beginning of the following year didn't even make the UK album charts but was this around the time when he was writing um, actually it was probably a couple of years later wasn't it when he wrote The One and Only for Chesney Hawks it, yeah that, that was that was a couple of years later mm. so uh, yeah in terms of his own pop career it, it certainly seems as he's uh, yeah Straight down the dumper, and uh, can't get back up. Can't get yeah. back up that slippery slope. But eventually found found another way out. He's only little, isn't he? He couldn't yeah. couldn't get out of the sides too steep. Yeah. And there's another. There's a little fact file about Sir William of uh, Idle. Cut out and keep collection. Oh, I used to cut those out. I cut those out. Number sixteen. Mm. I like the fun facts. Um, Sir William once went swimming in Mallorca with leather trousers on and ruined them. And also, he once fell off a horse. Just to see little facts sprinkled in there, you know. (laughs) That's great. I've got an update on Luke Goss. I'm sorry, I've had to look it up while we're on air. News just in. Yeah, news just in. He got married in 1994. Breaking news. Um, But yeah, they are no longer together. Him and Shirley, who was one of the boss backing singers. So there we are. That's the news. That's all the news from the Bross desk. He's he's single, ladies. (laughs) So there's a few fan clubs mentioned there. Voice of the Beehive, Five Star, Misha Paris, Kylie Minogue, Brother Beyond and Susie and the Banshees. Jude, were you ever a member of a fan club for a pop star? Yes. Um, Not this early on, actually. It's funny. um, Thinking about this a lot recently, I I kept my love of pop music sort of a secret. I don't know why. Not my parents would have been absolutely against it or whatever. But um, my family were quite, you know, I was saying kind of conservative, chapel-going, 
old fashioned, you know, lovely, but kind of, yeah. So um, the idea I, did, I would, you know, join the fan club and get things through the post. I didn't want them to see, <laughs> I, you know, I could buy, I could buy my 48p copy of Smash It in Morgan's and bring it home and just take it to, um, we had a little loft above our utility room where I used to go and hide and, you know, my, you know, my sweets and read my smash. It sounds really pathetic. Um, I did join a fan club later. I joined the REM and on an REM fan club. Don't know if it was the REM fan club, but I used to get these amazing fanzines. Um, uh, they're called Chronic Town. I used to get for those, but that, yeah, that's a few years later. But I was still reading Smash It at that point because I remember vividly the. They had a fortnightly series trying to work out what Michael Stipe was singing and all the songs to in automatic for the people. You know, they had a list of things that the chorus of Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight might be saying. Um, but yeah, so that was a few years later. Yeah, not at this point. And I did write letters and sent them to, you know, I, I wrote a 28 page letter to Michael Stipe once, which I sent to REMHQ, which he sadly didn't reply to. I should have taken that up with him when I interviewed him. How very rude. Should have. Um, and I also, but I did write a letter to Jarvis and Pulp once, and they sent me back some coasters, which um, were, you know, a private place on my student notice board when I was at university. I should have been part of the Brass Fan Club, and I re- do remember trying to sell a tape or watch to my school shoes. <laughs> well, I did have Doc Martins, you know, or anything like that, because I was not cool. You know, I just had a pair of tea bars, probably. Oh, but um, yeah, I was a bit tragic. That's really sweet. <laughs> Poor little Jude. <laughs> you use what you've got to hand, don't you? Accessorise and customise with whatever tools you've got knocking around the house. That's lovely. <laughs> okay, we move on to the uh, cover stars, Brother Beyond. So there's an interview with. All four of them. They're very, very excited to be riding the giddy carousel. Uh, the harder I try is in the charts. And they're on the front cover, as we said. It's taken them a few years to get to this place. And I'd say that the sense of excitement and relief and frothy happiness is palpable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they each have an individual interview with Tommy Doyle. Now, Jude doesn't know about this, but Ooh. we're going to have a, a little surprise for you in a moment. Because a couple of years ago, I met David Ben White, who was the guitarist with the band at a gallery in London. It's a bit of a convoluted story involving the Philip Larkin Society, improbably enough. But <laughs> this sounds amazing. I know already. it was. We haven't got time for it now, but I will tell you one day. Um, so we, we were chatting at this um, gallery opening in London, and I, I didn't know who he was. he was. We just had a mutual friend, and um, I knew he was an artist. So we were chatting away, and he was a really nice fellow. He was talk, telling me about his art, and it was all very interesting. And then we got talking about music, and if I'm at a party and someone wants to talk about music, you know, I'm, I'm all over that and that's great. And we were both, we found out we were both fans of Pavement and Steve Malkmus. So we were chatting away for ages about Pavement. Oh, amazing. And uh, and then said goodbye at the end of the night. And a few days later, I emailed um, DJ Roberts, this this artist, to say, um, oh, who was, who was that guy I was chatting to? I'd like to look at his art. You know, I'll Google him and because uh, he seemed really interesting. So he gave me the name David Ben White. So I it didn't mean anything to me at the time. I put it into Google and all these hits came up for Brother Beyond. I was like, he must have the same name as like someone out of Brother Beyond. And then I was like, oh shit. <laughs> it's the, Amazing. It's a guy out of Brother Beyond. So when you picked this issue, Jude, I thought, well, this is a perfect example to see if I can get um, a little bit of input from him. So I chanced my arm, tried getting in touch and <gasps> very graciously. Amazing. He got back very quickly. He was happy to share some thoughts. So we've got a few little portions um, sprinkled through the next oh, bit. Oh, Gavin. We're going to start off. Made my week. 
Sorry, I'm excited. <laughs> That's all right. You'll hear it in a sec. Um, we'll start off with a bit about what led up to Brother Beyond being at this point, being on the front of the hits. And then later on, we'll hear a bit about his memories of the interview itself and then what's happened since then. So hit play, Si. I'm thrilled that this has been chosen. And um, it's quite interesting to read this after so long because we were massive fans of Smash Hits. And um, it was just so important to be part of Smash Hits world. I think you could probably say that we all felt a very strong sense of kinship to the, the magazine. You know, the, the weird thing was Brother Beyond's first interview was actually in the face. Um, so we had this sort of slightly, you know, weird start but we made it very clear very quickly that where we were heading was for a sort of pop audience. We really, you know, with the name, everything was about, you know, sort of a, a very pop aesthetic. We had been through quite a tough time. We'd released a number of singles. My brother, who was in the band, had left. And it was really quite an insecure period. Carl was the main songwriter, but Egg was really a good songwriter and really good producer and went on to be incredibly successful with his own production and songwriting for other artists. But at the time he was very young and him leaving did feel like really scary. And I had to step into the, into the role of being the main sort of songwriter with Carl after that. And actually it was a really good thing. And I co-wrote with Carl the follow-up singles, Can You Keep Your Secret and um, Be My Twin, were two of the first songs I wrote with Carl and probably a, my some of my favourite tunes from the band. But um, we were nervous about the single. Um, when we first heard it, I, I couldn't get my head around it initially, but Carl was just immediately like he knew it was really good. And I trusted Carl... I had a bit of an issue around Motown. It wasn't my particularly my thing at that time. And it was, uh, so the song was a very strong Motown influence, but actually I grew to really like Harder I Try. And I remember one particular performance we did, and I think it was a, a best disco in town at the Hammersmith Palais, and it just made sense. It was like this moment in which when we performed it, it just, it just made sense. Everything sort of, felt like it clicked into place so that was really exciting to be finally getting the breakthrough with a good pop song that was amazing oh <laughs> wow do you know what about when i when he, he you were saying about him i was thinking oh gosh yeah brother beyond i'm sure that was egg white who went on to, to write for adele mm. and all this kind of stuff and then he said in the middle of it i was like yes <laughs> wow, that's amazing. It's funny, like reading his interview, you know, I was looking at the others and obviously Nathan's future, you know, Nathan has been on various, you know, celebrity things on TV. Um, Carl Fish, um, you know, you know what Carl Fish was, what he does now? Yeah. So Carl Fish is Beyonce's publicist, basically. Oh, okay. Carl Fish is, um, has for many years been a, one of the biggest British PRs for various people. Uh He's got another company. He was one called Purple PR. But yeah, he's basically looked after Beyonce in the UK for years. And uh, I haven't seen him for a while, but it, obviously the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, Brother Beyond. And he's like, oh, Jesus. You know. Um, and I was interested in Steve because Steve was Welsh. Steve was from Astragundlice. 
And um, when um, the reruns of, the, again, the recent reruns of Top of the Pops, when Brother Beyond are on, doing The Harder I Try, um, Steve says hello in Welsh at the beginning um, or something like that. But, you know, pop stuff from Astra Gunlice. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we wanted. Um, but the Harder I Try is a fantastic song. It's really, really good. Um, Be My Twin, I'm, I was pleased to hear David mentioning as well, because that's a good single as well. You know, they kind of get forgotten a bit, Brother Beyond, because they, you know, they, they're, well, they get remembered for two things. Nathan being really good looking and a really good looking front man and um, the for the harder I try and that's it. Um, but, you know, their singles were good and they were better than a lot of the other terrible bands of the time. I have to say I wasn't a fan at the time because they weren't bros. You know, you had to be, you had to pin your, you know, colours to one band when you're 10 and they were not my band. But um, <laughs> they come across really well in this interview. They're really fun. Carl got expelled for dyeing his hair blue. Um now, David does talk about working as a talent scout for a record company and being into st- a stone collector, which obviously is a bit spooksome. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Steve talks about, you know, being in Wales, you have to play rugby, otherwise you're a wimp, right? Which definitely was true in the like, late 1980s. Thankfully, has changed a bit now. So uh, he also super glued his teacher's, uh, his maths teacher's feet to the classroom floor once. Cheeky scamp, eh? That's the kind of detail I want from Smash It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all kind of, because I've been interviewed independently, I, I think they're all kind of carving out their own little niche within <laughs> yeah. Brother Beyond World, really, aren't they? So you've got Nathan who says at the end that, you know, he's the extrovert of the band. And, he, you know, he's obviously had quite a few jobs in the past and he's very hard working. And then Carl is just very funny. He starts the interview. It's, it's great. He says, I think I was brain dead until I was about five. <laughs> yeah. Most people can say that they remember looking out of their pram and seeing Uncle Wilbur throwing a jelly at them or something. But I guess I must have been out of my head on some baby tonic or something because I can't really remember anything at all. He's canny, isn't he? You can tell. And it's interesting hearing David just now talking about, you know, Carl was writing. He knew this was going to be a big song, you know. Mm. Carl Fish and uh, Craig Logan from Bross, you know, they went on to, you know, be big noises in the record industry. So uh, these experiences were formative, weren't they? (laughs) And then we were just saying about David, it kind of comes across as more serious than the others in this, I guess, with his love of film and his rock collection. And he says at the end Mm. that he's a member of the band that the others most likely to pick on and then Steve who's kind of a bit he says he was a bit of a creepy swat at school but he's the most kind of boy next door member of the band so they've all got their own little personalities haven't they within the interview and that's the boy band formula isn't it absolutely a couple of years after this I graduated to New Kids on the Block which again from Top of the Pop runs recently I've realised it was a bad idea because they were terrible Um, (laughs) but yeah you know Jordan was this one and John was the intelligent one and Danny was the goofy one and Donny was the bad boy. And yeah, but, um, you know, it allows girls of a certain age to, you know, start working out some of the stuff that's going on in their own heads and bond with their friends. And it's fun. It's fun. It's not dangerous. It's not weird. It's great. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting what um, what Nathan said about money. Uh, and he says, uh, in his time, he's worked hard for his dosh, which makes him feel slightly uncomfortable about becoming a pop star. I suppose I'll feel a bit guilty when I start making money out of being a pop star. Pop stars are often paid outrageous sums of money for doing very little. Mm, that's an unusual... Um... <laughs> <laughs> An unusual take from a pop star, isn't it, in the 80s? Yeah, absolutely. We haven't mentioned how 
his earlier group called the Palm Tree Club, who acquired a minor reputation because his sister, a feisty wench, used to whip her top off doing performances. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like that woman in Hawkwind. We used to do stuff with Hawkwind. Oh, St- Stacia, Stacia. That's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. They were the Hawkwind of the late 80s. And I, I noticed, I spotted it on the front cover, and then I looked at it again uh, when you get to the, the photos of, of each one of them in the feature, looking at those skateboards, and I'm thinking, ah. Oh, they can't, you know, are they really skateboarders or are they not? Because those wheels are tremendously clean on, on all of the <laughs> skateboards. And then if, if you turn the uh, the feature on its side, you'll see skateboards and togs kindly supplied by Slam City Skates, uh, yeah. Talbot Road, London. And I, I, I Googled them. They're still going. And now I'm getting bombarded by bloody adverts from all the time. <laughs> <laughs> there, is a, there is a point somewhere in the interview, somebody says, can I take this home? And they say, oh, no, they're hired. Um, Slam yes. City Skates used to be above um, Rough Trade. In Cobb That's Garden. right. I don't know if it's yeah, still Yeah, you is. go down the spiral staircase. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. what a magical place that, that was. <laughs> I don't know if it's still there because I haven't been, you know, haven't been anywhere for ages. <laughs> well, I, I think this would be a good time to play the uh, second clip that we've got from uh, David from Brother Beyond. And here he is talking a little more about the feature. When Tommy Doyle talks about, was it one of the band's ambitions to be on the front cover? Oh, absolutely. It was probably up there with the highest and we we did have a very good relationship with smash hits um the one thing i remember personally was doing a photo shoot where i had a melon on my head and it just felt completely appropriate for smash hits to do that (laughs) and to this day i'm still more proud of that than probably many of the things that i did so yeah tommy doyle's assertion that we you know, that we really were keen to be on the cover was absolutely correct. It was um, a big part of the band's agenda. What memories do I have from the interview or the photo shoot? Actually, precious little, unfortunately. Um, the interview makes a lot of sense. And as usual, I was probably the most straight talking of the band. It's funny seeing Carl Carl's uh, interview uh Carl was just off on one (laughs) in that interview. Nathan's quite straightforward. um, And so, yeah, I I sort of feel like when I look at it, I sort of feel that each member of the band was sort of carving out their own sort of identity in this interview. It was quite important. And I can see with me, it was about my being slightly other. You know, talking about my mineral collection, I still to this day collect minerals and I'm surrounded by minerals. In our house, we have minerals all over the place. Um, yes, skateboarding. Um, I was a very keen skateboarder when I was a kid. Really enjoyed it. Wasn't very good. I became much more into ro- rollerblading later on. I was really into rollerblading. But uh, yeah, so I, I am a major film fanatic. So that's still very particular to my uh, lifestyle. Um, I watch far too many movies and watch far too much of these things, but it's sort of somehow still very much part of me. It's lovely to remember the band. We didn't fall out too badly. We can still all talk to each other, but we don't see each other. Um, I'm glad to say my relationship with my brother is now best that it's ever been. And I'm so proud of him with his career. I'm now an artist and um, I spend my time in the studio 
making uh, art, uh, but it feels like I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I hadn't had the band and the success with the band. So I'm very, very grateful to have had Brother Beyond and been part of that. Fantastic. What a nice guy. Really nice guy, yeah. And he's, he's clearly not changed much. He's still into his minerals and his films. and <laughs> <laughs> You know, a lot of bands end in acrimony and legal disputes and financial disputes. but Or documentaries. Or documentaries, <laughs> yeah. But it feels like, you know, that it's all kind of settled down nicely and, yeah, just lots of good memories left. And you wouldn't expect somebody who's an artist now and is quite a serious cultured guy to talk so lovingly and beautifully about it because we've sort of become conditioned to think that, you know, a pop career as a young person that didn't last very long is a bit embarrassing, aren't we? And it's not. It's great. You know, I wish I'd been in a pop band for three years when I was, you know, in my early 20s. Hell yeah. But, you know. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I did play keyboards and do backing vocals in my friend Michael's band for a while. But uh, there is no footage of this. Hopefully. <laughs> Are you sure? Lurking yeah. somewhere is there some? Well, no. who knows? But um, yeah, I used to have a pick. I had a pickup on my violin, and I could, you know, put my violin through a uh, wah wah pedal. That was quite, quite cool. I wanted to be like um, the woman at Gorky's Zygotic Monkey. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, a parallel life. There we are. <laughs> or maybe I can, you know, start it up in my middle age. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but before we leave, um, brother behind, brother be behind, behind, behind. I was trying to say Brother Beyond Behind. Before we leave Brother Beyond Behind, uh, Jude, when, when we were talking, when we were testing all the stuff out last week, you said that you've got something to share with us about Brother Beyond and, and Miranda Sawyer. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you should probably ask Miranda. You should get get Miranda on. She'd be amazing. Um, so wh- when I first met Miranda Sawyer, um, not long after I started a word, there was a word magazine party, and like she was my hero. Growing up, you know, she's not in this issue, which I was surprised by. But she said this was the first issue that she was employed by Smash Hits. Maybe she's lurking in the background. But um, yeah, I met her and I was just like, oh, Ryan Sawyer, Ryan Sawyer. Because obviously I'd followed her career after Smash Hits um, through to Select. Um, yeah, she'd had her interview to work at Smash Hits in the summer of 1988, July or August. And um, <laughs> Barney Tabasco, I nearly said, Barry McElhenney. Um, at the interview, said to her, "We've got we've got Elton John for the next cover. You know what? Is, what are your thoughts on that?" And she said, "You shouldn't have Elton John on the next cover. You should have Brother Beyond on the next cover." Um, and at that point, you know, the single was not out yet, or you know, they they weren't big at that time. And she said, "That is what got me the job because Brother Beyond were on the cover." And I said, "What? When was that? Was that August the tenth to the twenty third, nineteen eighty?" <laughs> like you know an idiot and um she's like yeah yeah so that's why brother beyond are on the cover because um miranda suggested it um which makes me really happy that this is my first one you know the cover that i saw miranda sawyer had made happen and i still you know pinch myself on a regular basis that you know i know miranda now you know she, we're not best pals but kind of professionally we know each other really well we've been to loads of gigs festivals you know i did an interview with Miranda and Sylvia Patterson about five years ago now for The Quietus, if anyone's interested about the Smash It days. And I know you've both read it, but um, it's basically, you know, it's not my great interviewing style. It's just them talking and me transcribing. We went for breakfast (laughs) and it was quite fancy and Sylvia just wanted a roll. And it was, uh, they were were brilliant on um, 
that period. And yeah, it's women are so important to smash hits. You know, um, when I spoke to Barry the other week, he said something like 80% of the people have bought it. And I should have checked this figure before saying it here. But a large proportion of the readers that bought it were female. More people read the magazine, obviously, but um, there there were loads of women on the on the staff. You know, female designer, female publisher, and you know that really comes across in the page. Well, it it doesn't feel like you know it doesn't feel like a magazine for girls because it's not about you know oh you fancy this person or you know it, it feels like a club where girls and boys can be together, um, and girls have a voice. And girls aren't presented in any weird way. They're presented as equals to boys. I, I really think it had a big effect on me that actually. Um, I'll tackle this one, Shah. <laughs> Hashtag problematic corner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so we get to page fifty, and uh, there's no getting around this. Um, if you're reading along with us or looking at the scans, um, you, you'll get to this at some point. And as I mentioned earlier, I was looking through this issue with my daughter. And got to this page, and I I was genuinely, genuinely shocked. I, I actually uh, was so shocked, I couldn't say anything. I just closed the magazine mm. and put it down. And she said, what, what? And, and, and then I opened it, and I started laughing, and I stopped laughing. I'm like, no, and I, I showed it to her. And she's aware of who this person is, because this, this name is still, you know, it, it haunts uh, our pop culture. Uh, and um, and it's a, an advert for uh, the young person's rail card featuring a certain Gary Glitter. Um, the things people do to keep hold of their young person's rail cards and Gary Glitter with a huge jar of Hydra skin rejuvenating cream. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was absolutely, yeah, I was just so, so, so genuinely shocked to see this in here. I don't know what, what your reactions were on, on seeing this. Yep, the same. Yeah, just kind of the glint in his eye and his hand in, yeah, in a tub of something. Yeah, anyway, I, you people need to look. It was, it is, it is, it, it is odd to think of a time when, I don't know, I always think, you know, we we you know we hear narratives of glam rock now and he's never mentioned and I know why he's never mentioned. You know, it's it's right that he's not mentioned. But um, you know, he was such a huge part of its sound and its popularity. Um but yeah, this is this is eighty eight and he's still a big you know, he's still somebody who can helm a campaign. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah, I did. I turned it over and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Um, yeah, just the association of young persons and Gary Glitter and then the the photo, the combination with the photo is just very unpleasant. Yeah. So, I mean, um, in a magazine that's very, very light and frothy and smiley and sunny, and then you suddenly get this really <laughs> absolutely dark, horrible yeah. image, don't you? And it just yeah. sucks all the fizz out of the room and you're like, oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's quite nightmarish. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you know, should we not- move on? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back when we get when we get when we get to mutterings near the end of Michael Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it would have looked odd to kids at the time as well. A lot of them <laughs> probably wouldn't have known who he was. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like 15 years since he, he was pro- properly famous. In my head, you know, this might be this might be wrong, but I, I remember him being you know part of Light Entertainment a little bit. Yeah. You know, 
was he on blankety blank or something like that? Yeah. You know, I knew who he was, you know, it was um, when I was a kid, definitely. You know, he's quite cartoonish looking, isn't he? You know, he's one of those figures, he's got a big quiff, he's got, you know, he's got a certain look. He always looked out, you know, he's one of those pop stars like, and I'm not saying he's anything like Adamant at all, okay? <laughs> but, you know, he looked cartoonish. He looked not of this world. Mm. He looked straight, you know, daft and strange, you know. Um, Adamant was uh, my first love, I should add. So he's definitely not in the same ballpark. But um, Same here. mm. Well, I noticed that you were talking about REM um, earlier on and, and that article that you did recently, was it in The Guardian, I think, or The yes, Observer? Yes, that's right. Uh, about um, your sort of love affair with the band and there was a photo of <laughs> your bedroom from, I guess you were, what, 17, 18 maybe? That um, kind that of... picture, yes, that picture's from a little bit later than the, the oh, okay. article because it's the only picture I have of me with, you know, like a teenage fan with REM stuff. I. I think it's the summer of 94, actually, because it's um, oh, okay. Oasis posters are just starting to appear. Oh, and that's, that's when Oasis right. had just come along, yeah. But there's also Adamant posters on there yep. as well, which are, and I was like, whoa, Jude, that's yeah. cool. That's great. Even in 94, still rocking Adamant. That's because it was in Select. You know, Select used to have slightly retro posters and there was a pic- mm. they would have people like Adamant in it and I still loved him. God, he was amazing, but yeah. He was, wasn't he? This is not... This is not relevant for this podcast, but I'll tell you another time when I, I met him at a Tony Bennett after show. Okay, I'll store that one away. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that's enough, isn't it? You don't even need the story. That's enough. <laughs> right, so uh, we'll leave um, that particular advert behind and, and move on now swiftly <laughs> to the um, singles reviews reviewed in this edition by everybody's favourite crime writer, <laughs> William Shaw. <laughs> but back in the uh, back in the eighties, was writing for Smash Hits, and I think you know, th- there is a, a, an element of metal and rock running through this issue of Smash Hits. And I know it's something that we've encountered before with people writing in, moaning that they don't cover these things. Well, Cinderella er- er- earlier in the magazine, there's an advert for Europe where you can mm. phone a, a phone number and listen to their new single. There's an advert for Iron Maiden, and uh, that Iron Maiden single gets reviewed here. And uh, along with Van Halen as well. So they're not leaving the rock out, all you rock kids out there who think that Smash It's never wrote about that kind of stuff. Well, it's in here, in uh, in this one. But any particular uh, single reviews that stand out to you or any that you would have bought at the time? I remember at the time thinking that Touchy by a Heart wasn't as good as their earlier singles and I'm pleased to see that William Shaw agrees. <laughs> they can write the most eerily beautiful tunes ever and there's something about Morton's voice when he sings songs like Cry Wolf or Stay on These Roads which is not of this planet. However, occasionally they are less than brilliant and this is one such occasion. Yeah, t- Touchy is not, you know, and I, I, I still, as a 42-year-old woman, will play a heart loudly in the car. <laughs> trying to, you know, get my son to, you know, sing along with Take On Me and Me and him just being embarrassed, basically. Um, I love the Spagna. I love the Spagna. Um, despite all the um, metal in the review column, still get single of the fortnight. She's discovered that the word boy rhymes with enjoy and stuck that onto the most ludicrously boisterous tune you've ever heard. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that will have everybody in the world joggling around the discotheques. I love that, joggling. I'm not sure if he meant jiggling, or maybe he did mean joggling, around the discotheques <laughs> on their summer holidays all over the continent of Europe <laughs> and we'll go to number one for about eight or nine years, possibly ten. <laughs> I love the kind of um, excitement of it. Yeah, William Shaw. Yeah, I was enjoying him on the Big Mouth podcast recently and... Um, 
And I opened this and there he was. With a very 80s look on William. Denim jacket, bit of a quiff. Very much, yeah. <laughs> I like the review of the Heaven 17 single, Go Go Brown. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a very it's a very strange single. I mean, they were known as a, you know, a synth band. And for some reason, they've gone down this kind of country blues kind of route. <laughs> and um, it says... Uh, What's happened? Why are they now trying to pretend to be some ancient old rhythm and blues group of the sort that scratches away in the back room of some pub, wailing away and puffing at harmonicas and singing the ballad of some bloke called Go-Go Brown? What's more, why are they pretending to be such a bad rhythm and blues group? Because this is such a shockingly awful song. It's annoyingly nonsensical and it chugs along at a relentlessly dismal pace. It is, in fact, the worst single ever made. <laughs> I mean, it... It is pretty bad, to be fair. Yeah, I think William's got that right. It's not the greatest. Yeah, certainly uh, getting close to the dumper. In fact, they're, 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 <laughs> I think it's just the tops of their heads poking out. And I think um, <laughs> Big Country, who are here with uh, King of Emotion, were heading the same way. That was their last top 20 hit. And uh, can I just say something that Gavin and I have noticed as we've been doing these podcasts and looking back through these smash hits, Bloody UB40, they get in again. pretty much every bloody time. And here they bloody well are again um, with, with a song called Where Did I Go Wrong, which uh, no one remembers. So there. Yeah, they're one of those bands that are on Top of the Pops every week. They're like Shaking Stevens. They just never die. They keep on going. <laughs> they could have been a nuclear apocalypse in the 80s and UB40 would still be putting out a single every, every fortnight. <laughs> like cockroaches. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I've like, now got this image of Shaking Stevens walking through a nuclear winter. It's very weird. He'd <laughs> style that out quite well, I think. Yeah. yeah. Can I, with that in mind, can I briefly plug something like a terrible journalist? I'm, I'm finishing off making a programme about nuclear war and pop culture, which has lots of 80s stuff in it, for Radio Wales, which is coming out soon. Watch this space, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, you know, asterisks, exclamation mark. But, yeah, um... <laughs> But yeah, now, but I've given this for Radio Wells, and it's about it's about pop culture, like obviously Frankie and Young Marble Giants, and lots of film stuff as well. Um, it goes it goes back to the sixties. But now, because it's for Radio Wells, and it's about nuclear apocalypse, I can't not think of shaking Stevens walking through a mushroom cloud. So thanks for that. <laughs> you should have had a you should have had a cameo in Threads. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but, they'd be behind the green door, wouldn't they? Oh. <laughs> yeah. This old house. Oh, it's been obliterated. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of threads in it. It's very, it's jolly listening. No, it is, it is quite, it, it, it makes nuclear war fun. Anyway, <laughs> moving on, moving on. After the singles, we whiz through a few more pages and then we come to a double page spread. At, it's a big t-shirt competition. There are 34 different t-shirts that you can win. They're all for sale at various chain stores like HMV and Virgin and so on. I mean, it's a very wide range of music is covered, so I'm not sure anyone would really want all of them or would perhaps wear all of them. But Jude, what captivated you as a young'un? Oh, I think this is where my love of band T-shirts started, actually. I really remember this spread. <laughs> and um, many years later, um, gosh, 10 years ago now, actually, I had a blog going for a while with my friend and pop writer Ian Wade um, called My Band T-shirt, where people would send in stories about their favourite band t-shirts. And obviously the band t-shirt is a vessel for all kinds of stories about our misspent youths. And um, I didn't get my first band t-shirt until slightly late as well. But I'm um, looking at these. Oh my goodness. I would have really wanted at the time the Smash Hits t-shirt, which is at the bottom right, um, which has the dog on it and the bee. 
Um, I had lots of Smashes badges because they came free with a magazine. But um, now I'd probably want the uh, Blue Monday New Order Remix T-shirt. That's a nice uh, target. That's very cool, isn't it? It's a good one, yeah. But um, I still wear... But I bought a band T-shirt last week. You know, I when I was at the Word office, there were several of my colleagues there. Rob Fitzpatrick, um, the writer who now works for Spotify, and um, Keith Drummond, the amazing art director. I remember when they turned 40... You know, obviously I was at Word a while ago. They decided to stop wearing band T-shirts. I've gone the other way after 40. I just, I've got one hanging on the radiator here next to me from uh, the label Clay Pipe Music. It's great. It's bright yellow and it's got oh, a, yeah. a, a, a pipe puffing some musical notes. It's great. But um, <laughs> oh, you just, it's, a band T-shirt is just lovely. I'm wearing a T-shirt says disco on it today. You know, I have to do it. But um, <laughs> I think I'm becoming more romantic about music in my uh, in my old age. Yeah, basically, I just wanted to tell everybody, keep wearing your band T-shirts because they're fab, aren't they? Look at these, the Def Leppard one. The Def Leppard cartoon one is pretty amazing on this spread. But that's actually pretty cool. My, my mate Chris had that one. He was a big uh, Def Leppard fan. They were hometown heroes for us. So. <laughs> of course. Um, Gavin, any T-shirts that, that you would have had, uh, would have worn then, and what would you wear now? Yeah, I think then definitely the Cure one or the Joshua Tree one, the U2 one. Um, now, to be honest... Yeah, I really like the the New Order one. That's great. Also, the Smash Hits one. I think I'd be chuffed to have that T-shirt. I really would. <laughs> the Public Enemy one's cool as well. That's good. I'm not sure about the Aztec camera one with Roddy Frame's face. He looks a bit like KD Lang on that, doesn't he? I was only talking the other day about how he looks like KD Lang. How weird. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. My God. Well, there we are. There's proof. <laughs> the Good Morning Britain era, Roddy, which is uh, currently yeah. the run, the top of the Pops reruns. Yeah, he looks very much like Katie Lang. The, the Chicago House Sound one as well is great, isn't it? Yeah, that's a very nice... I, I, I wouldn't have worn it then, but I would wear that now. It's a very nice T-shirt. Then. Yeah, I'd wear that now. Yeah, yeah. What would you have worn then, Si? <laughs> uh, then, well, also The Cure, um, possibly The Cult, mm. um, definitely the U2 T-shirt, and uh, I, I would have uh, had that Smash It's one back then, and, uh, and, and I would wear that Smash It's one now. <laughs> of course you would. Oh, we should all get one. Yeah, but like the both of you, that new order T-shirt is just cool. It's really nice. Yeah. So it's very classy. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't have liked it on white. I'd have preferred it on a you know maybe grey or, or a, um, a sort of like a a brownish sort of colour. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Just just put it in the washing machine with some really brown socks. <laughs> <laughs> That's my tip. Top tip. So skipping forward a few more pages and we've got a live review by Chris Heath of Prince at Wembley Arena. And I picked this out really just because it sounds like the most amazing concert. And also for the list of pop celebs that are, <laughs> that are there, it's incredible. It's, I'll just, just read the first paragraph because this is amazing. There's no other pop star that would have brought all of these diverse musicians um, together. It says, it's two o'clock in the morning at London's Camden Palace and Prince is having a party. The place is literally stuffed with pop stars. Over in one corner, his royal purpleness himself is saying hello to Terence Trent Darby, Eric Clapton and Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones. In the next set of seats, the Pet Shop Boys are enjoying a quiet drink. Within a few yards are actor Mickey Rourke, Sinead O'Connor, Banana Rama, the Cocteau Twins and the Jesus and Mary chain. <laughs> Elsewhere are Misha Paris... Everything But The Girl, Michael Jackson's keyboard player, Greg Phalanges, Boy George, The Dream Academy, Patsy Kensit, Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet, and then that's when the Ed comes in saying, that's quite enough pop stars, thank you, <laughs> in brackets. <laughs> and I get the feeling it could have gone on and on. And it just sounds like an amazing concert. You know, he plays for hours and hours. 
And then after that, we find out he does another two-hour like after-show party for the uh, various guests. What a gig to have been at. I'm very jealous. I'd have loved to have been there. Yeah, I've, I've written Chris Heath, a brilliantly observant writer, because he, he is, whenever mm. you come across his stuff, it's always great. What a writer. Amazing. <laughs> then, then I've written, and there's a lot to observe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the bits about religion. Kind of, um, finally, acting out the role of a thoroughly evil type with horrible glasses, he's caught by the police and recites the beginning of the Lord's Prayer before being shot dead. Blimey. <laughs> 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 I was really scared of Prince when I was about 10. You know, he was so sexual then and I was just too young. I just thought, like, who's this scary man in purple pads or whatever, you know. he was. It was the cover of Love Love Sexy. You know, I was like, no, yeah. it's too much. I Give me a, give me about five years and I'll cope. But, um, yeah. That's He's confusing a, and that's frightening. And that, yeah. That, that was yeah, on the exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can just about cope with, you know, Morton Harkett. Don't give me any more than that. So just before we finish, right at the end of the magazine in the mutterings section, the kind of gossip and uh, man about town section that closes the magazine, there's just a very strange little story about Michael Jackson. And it's a dinner that takes place in London's Guildhall ahead of his shows at Wembley for the Bad Tour. (laughs) Michael turns up at the event and it says he watches this daft procession of blokes dressed up as the oldie kings and queens of England and then left. Except he waited outside for a while and some bloke on a white horse came riding up to him, presented him with a sword. And I was kind of curious about this and I think Barry McElhaney had mentioned it in a previous podcast. So I found an account uh, of what happened online. There was a a journalist called Paul Cole who's uh, with the Sunday Mercury, a Birmingham newspaper. And he gives a, a, a sort of eyewitness account of what happens. And it's the strangest thing. And looking back now, you just think, what the hell was going on? He says... um, he was First of all, he was allowed to enter a very special kind of royal entrance that the Queen herself had to give approval for. He was heralded by all these trumpeters. They were followed uh, a £75,000 banquet full of pomp and circumstance. And then this, this bit just made me crease up. It says, The roast beef was paraded through the room by the Corps of Drums and the Honourable Artillery Company, and dancers in old English costumes scattered rose petals at Jackson's feet. During dinner, he watched wide-eyed as first Henry VIII, then Elizabeth I, Lord Nelson, Nell Gwynn, Robin Hood, Maid Marian and Dick Whittington popped up to pay their respects. At one stage, ballet dancers burst from a box for his approval. Fire eaters, jugglers, jesters and Elizabethan musicians took it in turn to visit his table. Then Jacko was stunned as magician Merlin appeared in a puff of smoke and glittering knights in armour bowed before the US pop star. But as guests tucked into the finest food England had to offer... The reclusive singer nibbled only at corn on the cob, vegetable salad and fresh orange juice prepared by the personal chef he'd flown over. It was then that the dinner ended and things took a surreal turn. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's a great line. And if you want to see what happened, I mean, we haven't got time to go into it all now, but basically if you look on YouTube, if you put in Michael Jackson and Guildhall, there's a a one and a half minute video of Michael Jackson being presented by a, a knight in shining armour with the Excalibur sword. And it's it's very odd, isn't it? I mean, I think it was kind of odd at the time. Looking back now, you just think, what the dickens was happening there? <laughs> that's, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> we should have known, you know, that um, Earth song Jarvis Cocker moment of the Brits years later. Yeah. And they were like, oh, he's gone too far this time. God, we should have looked back to the Guildhall, shouldn't we? Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> very bizarre. Uh, but I think that kind of draws things to a conclusion. Oh, and we've got on the back cover Kim Wilde, who's one of my all-time favourites, which is, seems to be a lovely way to end with lovely Kim 
Well, I interviewed once and she was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so out of interest, Jude, um, before we wrap up, how, how long did you stay with Smashes? Because you said you were still reading it and, mm. um, and maybe quite secretly a, a pop fan uh, as you were getting older. Um, I read it consistently every fortnight um, for about th- three years. I still remember, I still see covers online of it in 91 and I remember them really well. I started, I think, yeah, about 91, 92, I could have moved on a bit to Q and probably not select quite yet. But, yeah, I got really into the monthlies. Um, and then 93, I got my first weeklies, The Enemy and the Melody Maker, which you couldn't get as often around where I lived. But, yeah, I didn't buy it every week, every fortnight, but I did get it till about, definitely until Automatic of the People Time with R.E.M., and yeah, then I moved on to the you know bigger people's magazines. But um, I don't often I, I would buy the odd issue actually, even through to university if one just looked quite funny. That the the, the humour was never as uh, what did Andrew Harrison refer to Mark Ellen's writing? It's a great phrase, acid Woodhouse. Yeah, it could have, which is a sort of <laughs> Mark Ellen Tom Hibbert language. We're just still you know in the firmament this time, you know, just with new people doing it. Um, that kind of went a bit by the mid-90s for me. But I wasn't reading it every fortnight, you know. I was sticking up pages of um, Select Magazine. and But, um, I, yeah, the, I did, in my wrote that REM piece recently, I was very pleased to see that... Because um, I'd written this whole REM piece, My Love of Michael Stipe, and I was remembering reading about them in Smash Hits. And the song that really turned me on to them was Drive, the first single of Automatic of the People. And in this photograph on my wall are the lyrics to Drive from Smash Hits on my wall. So... That is proof, proof is in the pudding um, that I was still reading Smash Hits when I was desperately trying to be cool. And at that point, I'd, I'd get, rid of, get rid of my pop cassettes as well. I remember I'd got rid of my Madonna Immaculate Collection, insanely, which I, you know, five years later bought back from a secondhand shop because I realised I'd been an idiot. But uh, yeah, I kept going for a while. And um, I love finding old issues of it. I kind of this issue has been an absolute joy to just go through, and it's amazed me how much is still in my head from it. <laughs> and do you feel that that um, discovering Smash It's in, in particular? Do you think that's something that has informed what you've gone on to do for your career? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I wanted to be a pop journalist from reading this, and I spent my early teens you know, trying to work out how to do it. And I got a magazine journalist's handbook from the library and I was, you know, and I didn't become a music journalist until I was 25. You know, I did lots of other random stuff and I went to uni and I wanted to be a lecturer and had very, and, you know, just didn't know how to get into it because, you know, how do you get into it? Um, and I was too nervous to send reviews off and stuff like that. But yeah, I eventually did, you know, via a fanzine. Thank God, I'm so glad I did. <laughs> and now, you know, to be to have been around the people who made this, you know, it sounds, might sound daft to some people. Obviously, not the listeners of this podcast and yourselves, but you know, it's it means so much to me. You know, that you know, pop culture, I will, and pop music gets such a you know gets such a hard rap from so many people still, you know, this is the stuff that changes people's lives, that guides them, that moves them, that brings us together with our friends and makes us enjoy ourselves. You know, there's a reason why pop music is banned from repressive regimes, you know, <laughs> because it's it's the good stuff. And this was the way into the good stuff with brilliant writing and humour and fun. And I always will go for a pop magazine that doesn't, you know, put a pop star up on a pedestal and bow down before them and 
you know, talk about, you know, how, oh, I don't know, just you can love something and take the mick out of it. You can be irreverent and the love is really there. You don't have to worship it in this deeply serious way. You can worship it in the smash it's way. And yeah, it's it's where everything began. And I'm very grateful that that day I saw it on the news newsstands um, in mid-August 88. Yeah, I can remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I really can. I really can. Oh, thank you so much, Jude. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been an absolute delight. So a big thank you to DJ and David for their help with the interview earlier. Really appreciated, and it was lovely to hear your voice in the mix there, David. Yeah, so uh, thanks once again, Jude, and also thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to check out our website, giddypoppod.home.blog, where you'll find the links to the issue of Smash It's that we've been looking at, along with those Spotify and YouTube playlists so you can enjoy your ride on the carousel to its fullest. And of course, you can check out our previous episodes, playlists and scans, our back issues, if you will, while you're there. And if you want to support us by buying us a coffee, we'll be forever in your debt, and you'll get a mention on the podcast as well. Go to ko-fi.com or coffee.com forward slash giddypoppod and that's where you can go to do that. And also, please do come and say hello to us. We're at giddypoppod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and obviously we will be delighted to say hello back. So thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Bye! 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 Bye.